Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Prince Nesta has been talking with Chris Peach, director of photography for the Register Guard newspaper in Eugene, Oregon, about next week's World Athletics Championships in Eugene. On Tuesday's show, Chris mentioned how Hayward Field, the venue for the championships, has a history spanning more than 100 years. Now, one man who is a big part of Hayward Field's history is the late University of Oregon track coach Bill Bauer. Bowerman. Prince asked Chris about Bowerman's legacy as a co-founder of the multi-billion dollar company Nike. Bowerman was the head track uh, coach for the University of Oregon track and field men's team. And I'm blanking on what the span of years were, but he was a powerhouse and was known for kind of popularizing the idea of jogging back in the 60s, that trying to encourage just run-of-the-mill people to take up the sport as a physical fitness uh, routine. Then, of course, he was the coach of the track and field team, and Phil Knight happened to be a runner on the team during his time at Oregon as well. And so they had this symbiotic relationship going on that, you know, there's a books have been written about this, and I'm probably going to end up, uh, you know, getting some of it wrong. But he circled back to uh, Bill at one point and suggested they start a business arrangement at, with uh, Bill being an early partner in the, the thing and then went out and found some financing from different other sources. And they started out, you know, fairly modestly. And now look at it, it you know, it's insane. It's a gigantic, you know, multi-million dollar, billion dollar company that sells products all over the world. Right now we're having a conversation with Chris Peach, who's an experienced photographer, works with the Register Guard as uh, the director of photography. Coming back to the conversation, basically Eugene, Oregon, you know, for our listeners joining in right now, we'll be in the international spotlight when they host the World Athletics Championships from July 15th to July 24th. This is also be the first time that such an elite competition is actually held here in the United States. What does this mean for Eugene as a community and basically even on a broader perspective, the United States? Well, as you said, it's the first time and, you know, that in and of itself is pretty significant uh, that it's finally been able to come here. And then, of course, you know, where better place than Eugene, you know, Tracktown, USA and the towns really rolled out the red carpet, you know, the, they built this elaborate new state-of-the-art facility specifically for this event and so if you haven't had a chance to see that, you know, you owe yourself a tour, uh, you know, buy a cheap day ticket and come check it out just for that reason alone. And then uh, the city just recently finished up a park called Riverfront, uh, downtown Riverfront Park, and they're going to have a festival down there uh, during the course of the events that are going on over at the track. There'll be some outside venue stuff to check out, even if you don't make it inside the Hayward Field itself or anything. So there's gonna, it's gonna be a very festive, uh, exciting uh, thing. Traffic's probably gonna be a bear, uh, unless you want to be in the middle of that. You might want to avoid the University of Oregon for a few days. But uh, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to explore. You know, one of the cool things coming from Idaho when I moved to Oregon is. You know, you're only an hour away from the coast, so you can zip over there on an off day and check out the 
uh, Pacific Ocean, and there's just some beautiful places along the Oregon coast. If your mountains are your thing, you can go an hour, hour and a half east, and you can be up in the Cascades, and there's still snow on the mountaintops yeah. and lots of beautiful uh, scenery around. So uh, there's a lot to do besides track and field around here, uh, that's for sure. So, you know, you've seen several transformations as far as, um, you know, the Hayward field is concerned. I'm not saying that you were there in 1921 or 1919 <laughs> when it was being built, but, you know, yeah, yeah. over the years you've seen a lot of transformation having worked, you know, uh, for decades as a photographer and, you know, you've been in the stadium. What are some of these transformations you've seen, especially now that we're going to the World Athletics Championship? You know, it's even though it was built like in, you know, 1919 until recently, the East yeah. Grandstands was, you know, had been more or less the same building that was there. By the time I came here, they had torn down the West Grandstands and replaced it. That happened in the late 70s, I think, uh, 75, 77, somewhere in there. And they've changed the track in a variety of different times. And there's been a lot of experimentation there. I just read recently, I, it had escaped me, that they laid in this urethane sand track composite material back in the 70s that was became somewhat known as being a really fast track, which might have had a role in some of these records that you know we were talking about earlier. So, yeah, from my perspective, I think Hayward Field's gone through a transformation its entire life. It was hard to see some of the historic buildings get torn down, but I understand, you know, at some point that it costs you more money to maintain some of these old buildings as exciting as it is, you know, or neat to see, you know, that, I mean, the weather on the seats and, you know, there was a lot of awesome charm about the place, but yeah, it was probably getting ready to fall down, you know, and even with a big influx of money. So you know, it was hard to see it come down, but I, I've become somewhat more philosophical about it since then. And the venue now, it, you know, is so amazing. And it's, you know, just even back in the old days, they had like two bathrooms at Hayward Field and there was always a line. And now you can take your pick. And there's <laughs> dozens of bathrooms yeah. for you to go and all of them have beautiful murals inside. And so it's like, it's, you know, it's hard to imagine going back to the old days now. But it's it's a beautiful venue, and I recently uh, got interviewed for a documentary that's being produced for during the Worlds that talking about Hayward magic, and that was a term that I heard a lot when I first uh, moved here. That and it did it was wrapped up in the venue, of course, you know, and it's particularly if you were there on a beautiful Oregon spring evening when it wasn't raining. And athletes were out there, you know, uh, excelling and breaking records and stuff. It it definitely was magical. It was cool to be caught up in that. But I think it's had to do more with the interaction between the fans and how excited they were and how knowledgeable they are about the sport and that symbiotic relationship between the athletes that they dig just a hair deeper when they're out on the track with that kind of encouragement going on behind them and from the stands, you know, that to me is the true magic of Hayward Field. So the pandemic kind of slowed things down a little bit, but I'm kind of uh, looking forward to seeing maybe the worlds will be, you know, the return of Hayward magic. And like I remember it. So, yeah, this is the first time Eugene is going to host such a thing. And sometimes I'm like, maybe they're going to be overwhelmed, you know, because so many people are going to be coming up. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. You know, I think the one thing I could say about people in Eugene is they they 
love being hosts. And so, you know, there's going to be some people will complain about the traffic and not being able to get into their favorite restaurant. You know, there'll be some definitely some grousing. But I think if they uh, have a chance to actually run into some athletes uh, out and about, uh, you know, they're definitely going to want to talk to them and engage them. And I was back. I'm just talking to uh, some friends. I have some friends that live down in Cresswell and they're hosting uh, the Finnish team out on their high school track and so i'm going to try to meet with some of them later and there's um two other communities that are hosting other track teams and i can't remember which countries that they're from but there's going to be a lot of inter- opportunity for some cultural interactions there and um you know that's cool and i think eugene's definitely excited about that that's chris peach director of photography for the register guard newspaper in eugene oregon and Chris was talking with Prince Nesta in Eugene. And we'll hear the final part of their conversation later this week. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA sunny and my Twitter handle is at VOA sunny sports. Also, please note we've moved our programs to voaafrica.com. There you'll find your favorite VOA TV and radio shows, including the sunny side of sports and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. USA Track and Field has named 151 athletes for the World Championships in Eugene, Oregon. The USA topped the medals table at the 2019 Championships in Doha, where the Americans won 29 medals, 14 gold, 11 silver, and 4 bronze. The USA team for Eugene includes Olympic champion Sydney McLaughlin, who last month broke her own world record in the women's 400 meters hurdles, clocking 51.41 seconds. McLaughlin set her new mark on the same Hayward Field track where the world championships will take place. In the men's shot put, Olympic champion and world record holder Ryan Krauser of the USA will go after the one title that has eluded him so far, that of world champion. Meanwhile, Allison Felix was named to her 10th USA World Championship team. The 36-year-old Felix will have a chance to run in the mixed relay event and add to her record medal collection. Allison Felix has won a total of 13 gold medals, three silver medals, and two bronze medals, the most medals of any athlete in world championship history. Yes, Allison Felix, you get a sunny side of sports salute. Allison Felix has said this will be her final season in athletics. Also selected for the USA's world championship team is this world record holder in the women's 
Ireland's 100-meter hurdles. I'm Kendra Harrison. I'm the 100-hurdle world record holder for Team USA, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Thanks, Heather. And as The Voice of America celebrates its 80th year of broadcasting, this Music Time in Africa historical note, Music Time in Africa is the VOA's longest-running English-language program. That's right. It was founded in 1965 by the late, great Leo the Music Man Sarkeesian. And Heather Maxwell has certainly done a marvelous job as host in recent years. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Let's give another sunny side of sports salute to the Tunisian tennis player Anz Jabur, who is making history at the prestigious Wimbledon tournament. Jabur rallied to beat the Czech player Marie Buskova on Tuesday. After losing the first set, six games to three, Jabur came back and won the next two sets, 6-2 and 7-5, to reach her first Grand Slam semifinal. On Thursday, Anz Jabur will play her friend, the German Tatiana Maria, for a place in the Wimbledon Women's Singles Final. Jabur is the first Arab woman to reach a major semifinal in tennis, and she's trying to become the first African player to lift the trophy at a Grand Slam event. At the post-match news conference on Tuesday, a reporter had this question for Jabur. You made a lot of history tonight, not just for yourself, but for your country, for Arab tennis, for African tennis. What does that mean to you? Um, it means a lot. I was um, hoping that I could uh, get to this stage for a long time already. Uh, I struggled a few times in the quarterfinal. I'm glad that I, uh, I kind of... Uh, because I was talking a little bit to um, Hisham Arazi and he told me uh, Arabs, we always lose in the quarterfinals and we are sick of it. Please break this. And I was like, I'll try, my friend. Don't put this in my hand. You know? <laughs> and um, we were just texting and he was really happy and he was like, thank you for finally uh, making the semifinal. Now you can really go and get the title. That's Tunisian tennis player Anz Jabur, who is going after the women's singles title and making history at Wimbledon. Jabur mentioned talking to Hisham Arazi, 
The Moroccan Arazi played professional tennis from 1993 to 2007. He reached the third round at Wimbledon four times and twice reached the quarterfinals at the French Open and the Australian Open. Now, Hisham Arazi's only career title came on clay in his birthplace of Casablanca in 1997. But he was a very good player, winning almost $4 million in prize money during his career and beating such big names as Roger Federer and Andre Agassi. I'm VOA's Sonny Young, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports. On the Voice of America. Hi, this is Larry London, the host of VOA's Border Crossings, where we feature music and interviews along with your favorite artists from around the world. Tune in and interact live with us here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Shirin. Hello, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Border Crossings comes to you Monday through Friday at 1500 UTC GMT. Thanks, Larry. That's Larry London, a man who's always ready to cross musical borders. The English Premier League will kick off a new season next month. Fans and players are excited about the resumption of what many call the best and most competitive football league in the world. Now, one player looking forward to the new EPL season is 22-year-old Bournemouth left-back Jordan Zamora, who represents Zimbabwe at the international level. Zamora's Bournemouth club is returning to the EPL after being relegated for one season in the Division I Championship. VOA's Mike Hove asked Zamora about his career in England and in Africa. Um, I feel like it's been a very good, it was a very good season last year. And I think um, as a team, we really grew together and bonded as one. And if you see our changing room, we're all really close friends and like, it was just, I guess some, some people may say destined, but like, I think we worked really hard in the preseason last year. And now we're just really excited to get going this season. Your career has progressed so, so quickly over the past couple of years. Um, in August, you were actually the player of the month at Bournemouth. Uh, congratulations on that. You scored so many goals as a left back. Congratulations on that. What are your thoughts on the analysts on what people are saying about you and how your career has progressed? Um, of course, it's flattering. It's nice to hear and stuff like that when people speak well of you. Of course, that's human nature. It's nice to be complimented. It's nice to know like what you're doing, you know, the hard work that you're doing. People are seeing it as well. But I think that from for football is a very um, it's an up and down sport. So you know, like as much as there was highs, there was obviously lows. Like from my injury to getting back to getting back to my best as I could, and then obviously yeah. So obviously I thank thank analysts for saying what they said and stuff like that, such as like the goal contributions that I helped towards the team, and just all in general really. It's been um it's very nice to hear, and obviously my mom always keeps me grounded. She always telling me come on, it's the next one now. Um, let's talk about your Afcon. Uh, appearance because that's arguably the most important appearance for the Warriors. Um, yeah. What was it like playing up against Africa's elite, Africa's best in Afcon? Being able to perform at the biggest stage, Afcon was just it was surreal for me because that's something I've watched from young when I used to see the likes of Didier Jogba, you know Yaya Toure, players of those standards playing this tournament. I used to think, wow, like these are African players that play in the Premier League and 
they're representing their country. Like it filled me with a sense of pride and sort of something from a young age. I've always thought, you know what, one day, like when I hopefully, uh, God willing, I get there, I'm not not gonna like look back on it and take my opportunity. And yeah, so performing that competition, Cameroon was a very beautiful country. Of course, I didn't go into as planned as getting out of the group, but obviously winning against uh, Guinea was, uh, was an amazing experience. I think that just showed the nation like what's to come, showed like how good the young youngsters coming through are and stuff like that. And obviously, the old play, the older players there, they helped lead us and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, it was surreal for me, very surreal moment. You, you know, there's so many players that are born in different countries and end up representing their countries where they live, right? So yeah. uh, you were born in England. Why choose to represent Zimbabwe when you could easily, you know, work hard and, 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 and play for England? It was always in the back of my mind, but I remember being 20 and I was just like, you know what, I want to I play men's football, I want to play first team football. I hadn't been on loan or anything like that. I was training with the first team and I was like, this is, I've played a few games. I made my debut against Crystal Palace, played Man City. And then I was like, this is a great opportunity. This is something that, um, I can't, how can you say no to this? How can I? say, no, nah, I'll give it a couple of years, see if I can get in. I wasn't going to do that. It was more or less the sense of, you know, my, my grandma's there, my granddad's there from my mum's side, my family there, like, it's type Zamora. There's a few Zamoras in Zimbabwe. So it was a sense of, like, not pride to my family, but it was for me, like, just to show, like, my, my siblings, my older siblings, my cousins, my, you know, like, we rep in Zimbabwe, like, this is my country, so... It was it was an easy it was an easy choice for me. When the opportunity came and obviously I spoke to the management team there at Zim, Zifa, they they were very like they were pushing me to come, they wanted me to come and I felt that sense of like, you know, that sense of love, that sense of listen, we want you here. And that it was a great moment for me to do that in my career. I think without that, I don't think I'd be where I am now. So I think it was a great step up at the time. At twenty two, you were about to play in what is arguably the biggest football league in the world. You're going to rub shoulders with the biggest global icons on the football field. Um, what can people expect from you in the 2022-23 season, man? You know, a young, hungry, a young, hungry man who's ready to take, take on the world, really. Like, I've, you know, I fear no one. You know, I'm ready to go and compete at the highest level and also to learn. I think that's one of the biggest things. I think last season I learned a lot in the championship and I can only thank, obviously, the manager and giving me that trust to play in that division because... I'll tell you, it's a tough, tough division, of course. It's hard, yeah. I learned a lot, the physicality side of it. So, like, now, going into the EPR, I know, like you said, like, global icons, the likes of Ronaldo, Fernandez, and players like this, it's, it's amazing because, you know, I want to learn from them. I want to see how they play on the field. Of course, I want to compete and want it to want to win games, win matches, but I think the learning bit is going to be the best thing for me because that's how you improve. You can only improve by learning. And, you know, working through, like, you know, tough times, you know, in games. And then when you're, obviously, when you're winning, obviously it's going to be a little bit harder this season. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it. That's Bournemouth and Zimbabwe left back. Jordan Zamora and Zamora spoke with VOA's Mike Hove via Zoom from Dorset in England. Sporty greetings. This is Chigo Ziechukuleta, Vice President, Sports Writers Association of Nigeria, Southeast. You are listening to the sunny side of sports 
on the voice of America. In African women's football, Senegal and host Morocco have advanced to the quarterfinals at the Africa Women's Cup of Nations tournament. In matches played Tuesday in the capital, Rabat, Senegal edged Burkina Faso 1-0 on an 84th minute penalty shot by Korka Fall. And the Moroccan ladies defeated Uganda 3-1 on goals by Rosella Ayane, Nesrini El Chad and Gislane Chabak. Morocco and Senegal each have the maximum six points from two matches in Group A. In Group C, defending champion Nigeria lost its opening match Monday when it fell to South Africa 2-1. For reaction, Iron Mike Mbonye spoke with the former assistant coach of Nigeria's national women's team, Maureen Madu. I was disappointed like every other Nigerians to see that uh, South Africa uh, beat us again. I think uh, during our preparation, the girls promised that we are going to give in their best. And everybody was waiting for them to do it because knowing fully well that South Africa, they are coming there to, to put everything it takes for them to win Nigeria. I believe uh, we would have approached this game with all seriousness and give everything we have uh, in the field. Like I watched the game during the 10 minutes after the game started. I think uh, it was a physical game first time, but uh, secondly, South Africa, they decided to play knowing fully well that they came there to, to upset Nigeria and to also claim their superiority in this uh, competition, being that they won us the time, they won us the other time in, um, in Lagos during the Aisha Buhari Cup. It was a disappointing thing for me and every other Nigeria because we expected the victory. What do you think went wrong with the Super Falcons of Nigeria? South African, they were playing one or two touches. They moved the game quick. If the game is on the left side, they move it very quick on the uh, right side. They read the game. The players read the game. They normally move towards where they have the ball. And they normally ex uh, expect what is going to happen in the second ball. I think in football, second ball is very, very important. And also for you to focus and win the game uh, very well. They didn't dribble, try to hold ball too much. They hold the ball one, two, you see they release the ball. And they move the ball very quick. They do their passes very quick. If the left side is congested, they move it towards the right side. If the right side is congested, they also move it towards the left side. I think we are a bit hasty when we want to shoot. We stay in a very long distance to shoot, a, to shoot. Knowing fully well that these people have a very good um, goalkeeper. You cannot score at that uh, long-range uh, football. And secondly, I don't know why uh, Aziza was able to play in the as an attacker. Because I think Aziza is a very good player when it comes from the wing because of her speed. She can be able to use her speed to outwit anybody. Onumono, the one they played on the right, supposed to be in the... Uh, to be, be in the striking uh, position, knowing fully well that the matches they played, the friendly matches they played against Canada and some of the matches they played, she has been scoring. And that time would have given her that um, confidence, knowing fully well that she's going to be the attacker. Coming towards our defensive side, the person playing on the left side, I don't think the girl is uh, she's using the left. You can see the goal they scored. Instead of her marking the player outside of the goalpost, 
she allowed the player to come inside. And when you want to defend your goal line, if you mark a player inside, you are, it's like you are giving her that opportunity to look at your post. As a former assistant coach with Nigeria's national women football team, do you think the Super Falcons have chances of qualifying from their group? Of course, they have a chance to qualify. The two games they are going to play, if they give it all, uh, during the, the way they fought in this dying minute, I think uh, they will do those two games. For me, oh, I am not saying that it's not a game or a match for Super Falcon, but I believe that um, Super Falcon will be able to beat the two teams and qualify. Those two teams are not all that uh, fantastic. So I believe that they should just forget about what happened. It has happened, it has happened. We don't have to think about the past. We just have to move forward. Let them use that annoyance to face these two teams. I believe that if they use that to face these two teams, of course they will qualify. And maybe they might decide to meet uh, South Africa again in the final or meet anybody that. But, I, you know, this kind of uh, loss now is a wake-up call for Super Falcons. That's former Super Falcons assistant coach Maureen Madu. And she spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Lagos, Nigeria. Sporty greetings. This is Randy Waldrum, coach of the Super Falcons of Nigeria. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. up the july 6th edition of the show thank you for tuning in i'm voa sunny young in washington i get it and that's the sunny side of sports